Hello, this is Mark Bryant, otherwise known as Double O, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirate. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Good morning, Michael. How you doing today? Doing well as always, Tommy. Can you believe it's been almost a year that we've been at this thing? Oh man, it's crazy, Mike. I mean, just thinking about where we started and where we are, it's nuts. I mean, we talked about maybe doing four podcasts for the entire season last year, and this has got to be 33, I think, right now, if I'm counting correctly. Yeah, that's, that's what we're at, 33. But you know what? Let's reflect for a minute on how far the podcast has come. I mean, we just started out thinking we could just chat about Seton Hall basketball, and it's been quite the journey for us, man. We started out ranting about topics and interviewing friends. Granted, friends who had connections to the team, but they were friends nonetheless doing us favors. Then we got to working with guests who were who covered the business. Uh, we interview former pirates. Uh, I mean, we've even gotten to the point where we're covering the exhibition games in Italy, man. And boy, do we have some exciting ideas for season two. I totally agree. I mean, everything that we've done, like you said, was more from an editorial perspective or it was more of a historical reference to, you know, the former interviews that we've done. I never thought we were going to have a chance to flip from looking the outside in to actually talking to people that were truly integrated with the program itself. So, I mean, I'm truly appreciative that our new athletic director, Brian Felt, is going to come on and join Left Coast Pirates in order to give us that inside look from behind the scenes. I mean, you could even call him the wizard if you want, because this is the man that's behind the curtain making things happen. So, Tommy, I, I really couldn't have said it any better myself. I got nothing else to really add at this point. You might as well just go right to the tail of the tape. He is a graduate of Seton Hall University, class of 1997. After graduating, he worked some in television news for places like MSNBC, NBC, and CNN. He returned to Seton Hall in 2001 in the University Advancement Department. He eventually was promoted to senior administrator within the athletic department. Spending two years at St. Peter's University as the athletic director, he returned in late August to Seton Hall. And welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, Seton Hall Athletic Director Brian Felt. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for joining, Brian. I know it's already been a month or so, but once again, congratulations on your new role, coming back home and becoming the Athletic Director for Seton Hall. Thanks so much. It's uh, Coming back home is what I keep saying. It, it feels like home. It's always been home to me, and uh, it's fantastic to be back. So take us through the process that actually brought you back to the hall. I, mean, I know Lions gets the promotion, and then what kind of takes place after that? 
So obviously, Pat uh, had made a very, uh, you know, very interesting move and one that I think is incredibly savvy for him. And I, and I know he's very excited about the opportunity. And when that happens, it's funny. I, I had no idea. No, I don't think a lot of people had any idea. And he, he did call me that day, I think probably about an hour before I think it became public, just to kind of give me a heads up and just said he wanted me to know. And that was it. Real, you know, real casual kind of thing. And, uh, and I, of course, I was like very quick to say, Pat, you obviously, of course, know I'll be interested. And he goes, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And, um, but, you know, I was certainly very excited for him because uh, it's an incredible opportunity for him to be involved. And I know uh, Dr. Nair, our new president, I think is fantastic. He's doing a tremendous job at the school. So the opportunity for Pat to be at that level and really work closely on the collegiate admission side of things is fantastic. So I found out about it. Obviously, of course, I was interested. Uh, you know, I was certainly getting calls from a lot of you know fellow alums and and folks I dealt with when I was there over the years, and certainly I had interest, obviously. So, and went through the process. And the process was, uh, there was a, you know, they had a committee on campus, and they had gone through that, and they, and they had to interview with the committee, and I was one of several candidates, as far as I know. And, and I went through the whole process the way I think anybody would have, and um, I guess it was about a month or so worth of a process. And, um, and it was exciting. And certainly the, the opportunity to be able to to, um, to have worked my way is just, I was incredibly excited obviously when it happened and, and, and moved that I get this opportunity to, to come home. Well, you spent two years as athletic director at St. Peter's University, where you've been credited with a lot of achievements both on the field and off. What are some of the things you learned there that you will be able to implement in the same role with Seton Hall? So, I mean, I, I say it all the time. I said that was it's probably been the best move I ever could have made career-wise when I took the St. Peter's job. My two years at St. Peter's, uh, I will always cherish them. They were phenomenal years for me, not only professionally, but just even personally. Uh, it's an amazing community, the Jesuit community over in, in, in Jersey City. They're just wonderful people. I've enjoyed working with those student-athletes and all and everyone. I was fortunate to have a very great, a really great staff. I got to add a lot of great staff. But with those two years, and it was, and again, so some people, they say, oh, it's just two years. I mean, really, I kept telling people, I said, I don't think you understand. My two years at St. Peter's were essentially dog years. Uh, they, <laughs> they literally, the amount of opportunity I had and the amount of experiences that I, I gained in those two years, I, I I really don't know if you can even it's hard to paint the picture but i i would talk to ad's around the country and i certainly had a nice you know good network of, of folks that i got to kind of use as mentors over the, over my time and they'd be like wow the stuff you've dealt with in two years like that that's like 10 years to some ad's you know that's my first really eight months i was finding a new men's basketball coach finding a new women's basketball coach and i eliminated three sports which is an incredibly difficult thing to have to do and that was in eight months i mean so that was you know that was a lot right off the bat and then dealt with certainly plenty of other things that were just tremendous experience building things for me in this profession. So you mentioned having to find a new men's basketball coach. When you got there, John yeah. Dunn, 12 years of the program, left St. Peter's to become the head coach at Marist. And then early reports had Shaheen Holloway as the favorite to take the job. Did you have to go yeah. through an intense coaching search? Or did you know that Shaheen Holloway was the man for the job right away? No, I absolutely did. I knew I, I had to do that. You know, certainly, yeah. I mean, I, I've known Shah. I knew Shah when he walked on campus as a freshman. I mean, I, I was a senior. So we, we And I worked in the athletics department. I worked in sports information. I mean, I, I was very involved in athletics as a student. And I mean, I certainly I knew who Shaw was. I knew him well. I've gotten to know him well over time, certainly not only as fellow alums, but working together. So I, I knew Shaw, and certainly Shaw came to mind, no doubt about it. But I knew it was incredibly important to do a thorough search. It was really my first that I was going to be running, you know, I was running the point on a, on a men's basketball search, which, you know, at the level that, the East level, and certainly at the MAC level, 
you know, where basketball really drives the bus for your department, uh, it was important. It was that it was that high profile kind of hiring that, you know, I needed to make sure I was doing due diligence and going through that experience of running a search. And and, it, and what an experience it was. It's amazing when you have a, a head coaching head coach opening at any sport, but certainly at your most high level sport like a basketball, there's a lot of interest. And there was a lot of interest. And I went through it. I spent I, I did it rather quickly. I think it was about seven to eight days. Uh, almost to the nose in terms of interviews and making the decision. Shah was certainly an interview I had. In fact, I think it's even as Shah, I think we probably met. It might have been three or four times we probably had in-person meetings to discuss. You know, it was either we had a great sit-down interview, we went through it, and then I wanted to see him again. I wanted to, you know, give him then a tour of campus, have him meet other people. And then I did that with several people. Uh, you know, I had a couple of finalists at the end of the day that I really think it would have been a, a good decision with any of them. But shot to me, and take out the fact that I knew him so well, shot to me fit St. Peter's really, really well. Not only as a person, but as somebody, as a head coach that knows how to develop young people. And I always do that about him. That was a very good strength. Certainly his recruiting experience and, and what he's done, his, his recruiting track record was a big factor. Uh, and it was an opportunity for him. And really, I saw a lot in, in shot what I saw in myself when I took the St. Peter's opportunity. This was my chance to, to run a D1 program. It was also his. So it just it really made a lot of sense to me as I was going through the process. Shaw stood out. And certainly, yes, there was that comfort level that we had with each other. But I just knew he would be a perfect fit for the job. And, per, and, and honestly, he's been doing a great job. His first year, certainly, you go through everything in your first year. But uh, I think the future is incredibly bright for Peacock basketball and Shaheen Holloway. So even though Seton Hall is clearly home for you, it's incredibly hard to say no to a job in a historic conference like the Big East. But how difficult was it to walk away from the AD position at St. Peter's after such a short tenure, knowing that you wouldn't see some of the goals that you had set there come to fruition? I, Matt, I love that you asked that question because I, I really don't think people understand how hard it was. I mean, yes, you are 100% correct. Probably be out of my mind to ever have turned down an opportunity like this. And, and it certainly wasn't something that even crossed my mind. It was an opportunity for me to go home. Seton Hall is it's in my blood. I love the place. And it was an opportunity to be in the Big East. And yeah, at the end of the day, that's what I wanted to do. But it was really hard to leave St. Peter's. And it was a place that I, I really, there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears really in it in the first two years. I mean, that's a hard thing when you're going in, you're taking over a program and you're really kind of, you're trying to build a culture. And that's really what was the big focus when I got into Jersey City at St. Peter's. We had to really build a culture. And it really hadn't had stability in the position. There really hadn't been a stable, the AD position wasn't very stable. There had been a lot of turnover. I mean, I saw the story of the time. I was at graduation for St. Peter's in May and uh, a young man that had just graduated was a golfer, uh, a really great, great kid. And he, he said to me, he's like, you know, Mr. Felt, I really appreciated our last, you know, two years together. You were my fourth AD in four years. And I'm sitting there going, wow. how is that actually possible? You know, that doesn't make any sense. But then you go back and between interims and just starts and stops that they had, that was the case. And, and when student athletes recognize that, that that's meaningful. And, it, and you have to understand that the stability issue was a big deal because again, it, it's hard to build a culture when you don't have something stable in, in the leadership position. So, it was hard because I knew I was leaving behind something that I really felt was getting on the right track. I, I really can't say that enough. I really think things in, in at St. Peter's are really starting to move in that direction. And I was getting really excited about it. I mean, when you take over a job where you got to rebuild a little bit, you got to go through some tough times. But we were really starting to kind of come out of them. And I was starting to see really some fruits of that labor. And so that was hard. And it was also hard because I had really I had brought some people over that I that I um, think highly of. Certainly we talked about Shah, but there were other people that I brought over, administrators from my time that I've gotten to know and that I 
I really wanted to have on staff, and they came with me, and, and I know they're going to do great. But it was also just hard because I think the student-athletes started to see the change in the positive direction and knowing that I was leaving that behind. It's tough, but I, I believe that they're going to get somebody in there soon and, and hope to take it to the next level, and I'm sure they will. And I'll always be here to help St. Peter's, and I'm always pulling for the Peacocks on the side. And, uh, and yeah, so I, it, was, it was difficult to answer your question. Brian, I want to bring the focus now back to your current role. One could assume sure. that you have a close working relationship with Pat Lyons based on your previous role as senior administrator of the, of the athletic department. Do you feel that your rapport with him will allow you to take on the AD role with limited oversight? Or do you believe that he will continue to be like an influential mentor during the transition? So the great thing about Pat and I, and why Pat has been so instrumental, I think not only in my career, but just in, in um, his friendship to me as well, is just, you know, we when he came in, uh, however many years ago it was when I was there, you could see you know, how just talented he was. And as a manager, the opportunity that he continued to give me, I'm not only incredibly grateful for, but I've, I've, I know how to work with him well because of that experience we've had. And Pat's great. Pat's hands off. He believe, you know, believes in all of his staff, believes in his people, always did it when he was the AD. Uh, we'll continue to do that with all the areas I know he oversees on campus now. And um, so I know that I, I, I certainly know how to work with Pat. And, and we certainly, as you said, we have a great rapport and we have a good relationship. But I know, I know what he likes. I know the energy it takes to work with him. I bring a lot of energy that's always kind of been kind of my calling card is I have a lot of energy for what I do. So I think that's why I think we worked so well together. And, you know, I don't, I don't see any issues. I'm, I'm incredibly excited that I get the opportunity to not only be the AD at Seton Hall and back where I love and my alma mater and all those things, but I also get the opportunity to be with somebody that I respect so much and that I know I can work with so well. So I, I, I'm not in any way concerned about it. I, I, uh, I'm excited at the opportunity to work with him again. Well, Mike just brought up uh, one of your previous roles at Seton Hall. You've been known uh, as being a strong fundraiser, which probably helped you land this job. You've spearheaded two capital campaigns at Seton Hall in the past that resulted in about $40 million in athletic facility improvements. How do you feel Seton Hall can continue to grow in this area? Yeah, I tell you that, and that's always the biggest question in fundraising. How do you continue to grow? We have to continue to build. We have to continue to build on our base. Uh, we have to continue to build on our brand. All of these things play a role in that. Um, and as we work to fundraise for what will be the next project and the next projects after that, you know, we can't do it. You can't do it from the same people all the time. You know, you're going to have to really broaden that constituent base and broaden the reach that you have fundraising-wise. And that, that's the toughest thing about fundraising. Uh, you know, the easiest thing about fundraising is relationships. And if you build relationships, I think a lot, you know, that's the first step. If you, if you can build relationships, you'll be able to get there. And that's how we've been able to do it over the years. Uh, you know, the success that I was fortunate enough to be a part of in Pirate Blue was because we built really strong relationships. And we built off those relationships. So we, we had someone that would be supportive, and he would help us find others to be supportive, and, and so on and so forth. And the reach just continues to grow. We have to continue that. And that's it's sometimes it's easier said than done, but there are more out there. And as, and as our brand continues to get so strong, as our program continues to be so successful, here's your opportunity. And so our opportunity really is just as good as it ever could be. I mean, I, I say this all the time, there is no better time right now to be a part of Seton Hall. Not just athletics, I talk about the entire university. I think just everything is going in such a great positive direction. We have to seize that opportunity and we have to continue to grow our base and find those that can be supportive of this program and educate those that aren't being supportive to understand why it is important to be supportive. So it's, it's, you know, it's I say all the time, sometimes it's like the circle of life, you just gotta keep it, keep it moving and keep it going, but we have to keep building off of it, keep making it better. And our staff knows that. And I've a lot with Pirate Blue since I've gotten there, and certainly they know I, I bring that being my calling card. We're, we're spending a lot of time finding ways that we can do that because we're going to have more projects coming down the road. You know, we always say facility-wise, 
it's an arms race in college athletics, but you know we have to continue to set the bar in terms of what we not only want to do facility-wise, but what we want to do for our, our student-athletes and our experience that we're building. So we've got to continue to build the base, and that's a big focus of uh, and, and it's going to be a big task for us moving forward. Now, you mentioned uh, broadening that base for the alumni, uh, but some of the bigger projects that have been built at Seton Hall have always targeted those larger individual donors. So how do you cultivate that relationship? Yeah, I mean, certainly, I mean, you can't do it. You can't do a lot without the large donation. It's funny. I say this all the time. You find your large donors by those that are continuing to give. And it, it, there's actually a lot of truth to that. I, I can't begin to tell you how many donors I've seen grow to the level that they're at now from being somebody that might have just given $500 or $1,000 on an annual basis. And then you just kind of start to really connect them and build that relationship. And then they really start to grow into a role of becoming a much larger supporter. Now, I'm not saying that works that way every time. And first of all, it's incredibly important to realize how important the $500 and the $1,000 donations are. But, and the donations at any level, but you certainly you do. You have those heavy hitters, if you will. You know, whatever phrase you want to use, the whales, whatever you want to call them. You, you've got to continue to nurture that. That's a relationship that you have to continue to keep very close. I mean, listen, I wish we all had the Boone Pickens of the world. Um, there's only so many of them. But, you know, you have people that can be considered your Boone Pickens in a way. And yeah, Phil and I too, yeah, yeah, put in the same category. And it's a relationship. And you have to continue to keep that relationship healthy. Uh, and they'll continue to keep wanting to be connected to what they're passionate about. You know, they, they give because they're passionate. People say all the time that people give to causes. And while there's a lot of truth to that, I really believe that people give to people. And at the end of the day, if, if I'm not a likable guy and I'm not doing my job well, I don't really think I'm going to be able to raise money effectively for the same cause. But if I can build that relationship with that person and then there's that extra incentive that we have a positive relationship and there's a, you know, they're making that gift to me at the end of the day. They're making that gift to folks on my staff that they have to be able to have a relationship with. So it's really important that when you have those really top level supporters, the relationship is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, so you, you spend a lot of time with some people that, you know, you start to after a while. And I'm, I'm always thankful to say this. There's a lot of people that I met through my time at Seton Hall that were supporters that I get Christmas cards from and I send Christmas cards to. You, you get to that level of that friendship and that relationship where it's important to do it. And um, and I'm thankful for that, that I've been able to really have some of those great relationships during my time there that I will certainly hope to continue to grow and continue to make new ones as we continue to have to try and increase our, our level of funding. Brian, we, we all know that once you raise the money, you now have to decide how to appropriate those funds efficiently. During your recent interview with WSOU, you shared some insight about the progress to the renovation of ONT Carroll Field. How about some insight towards the future upgrades to Walsh Gym? Absolutely. So ONT Carroll, uh, looking great, by the way. I was just out there walking it on Thursday. It looks fantastic. This is going to transform. It's going to transform campus in so many ways, but it really just for our athletic experience outside in baseball and soccer, it's transformative. It's unbelievable what we're building. This beautiful stadium with this brick facade that's just going to fit in the campus, I think, so beautifully. Uh, there'll be some nice branding out there. And then just the experience for us doing that is just going to be fantastic. We expect, we should hopefully have every permit in place, by the way, this week. I got in trouble in my SOU interview. I think I spoke too soon. Uh, but we, we eventually plan to be playing. We hope to have our Big East openers next weekend. Um, so we're really excited about that. But when you talk about Walsh Gym, again, another opportunity where I'm coming into a really great timing. Uh, we've got a lot of the funding in place. Walsh Gym is on par to begin in the spring of next year. We hope we'll breaking ground in April sometime, April, May, to begin the Walsh Gym renovation, which will be basic things that we need to do certainly a brand new floor will be you know we'll replace the floor put a brand new surface brand new baskets you know the whole thing and 
we will then also replace the seating, remove the old wood, ble- wood bleachers, remove the old wood seat, brand new uh, blue seat that will go in there. There'll be no more bleacher seating down low. That'll become actual chairback seating there. Oh, wow. So everything will be a chairback seat. And then we'll, the real big crown jewelry of it, we will then remove the two scoreboards on the side and we will put a center hung scoreboard in the middle with, you know, with video capabilities, television, you know, big screens on it. We're building up, we'll have a, a control room built back behind underneath the stands that will control that board so we can do full on productions in the gym so you know you've got the camera rolling in the stadium you know like that whole thing that you deal with and it'll be ADR it'll look fantastic and it'll really improve our home atmosphere for women's basketball volleyball and then certainly the, the men's basketball games that we play there on an annual basis as well so I Walsh Gym is the crown jewel in so many ways it's, it's, it's the most historic I think part of our athletic landscape and to be able to improve it like this is exciting so exciting but the, but the real hot button topic is the need for a dedicated men's basketball practice facility to keep up as you said earlier the arms race in college athletics and recruiting. Yeah. Is there a plan that needs to work itself out or is there a definitive project that will actually take place? Yeah, there is. So uh, the plan was already kind of in the work uh, when I came on board and then I've really just spent a lot of my first month not only doing a lot of things, but certainly focused on that as we have to do a lot of, you know, we're just, we've done some feasibility study work on it. We continue to kind of work on that. We've uh, we've certainly done the facility side of it, really researched how we can do it. Uh, I think we have a very, very solid place and plan in that respect. Uh, architects have certainly done some of their work already. In fact, I think we have we have a couple meetings coming up this week. So we continue to keep that ball moving. I certainly recognize the importance on that. I've spoken to Kevin a lot about that. I've spoken to uh, the, the you know the, pre- the new president's aware of it. Well, now that we have a lot, we have Walsh in place and we're finishing O and T. Obviously, we are really working on taking a look at how this can then start start escalating this conversation, basically of doing a practice facility because we know the importance of it. Again, you look around the conference now. You know, you see what Providence just built in the last two years. You see what Georgetown built in the last several years. Villanova down the, you know, years ago put together a beautiful practice facility. It, you're starting to see how important these practice facilities are. To be honest with you, gentlemen, I was just in the MAC conference, and schools in the MAC are starting to build them. Wow. So it's a big piece. I mean, Ryder just built the practice facility like a year ago. It's it's phenomenal. I took a tour of it. It's beautiful. So, yeah, it's become a big piece of, you know, when you look at these programs that are basketball-centric programs, like I said, we, we are obviously, and most of those in the Big East and other conferences are. It's important to have it. And and, uh, and I recognize that Kevin and I, I certainly is, is, is been very integral in, in kind of going through the discussions with it. And we're going to continue to keep having them. Plans are in, in place, as I said. And I think hopefully, I hate to put a timeline on it, but hopefully towards as we get towards the end of the calendar year into next year, we'll really kind of have a formative idea funding-wise and what we need to do to really get this thing off the ground. And, and it'll be kind of, you know, moving forward at a, at a pretty good pace from there. All right, so you kind of already beat me to my next question. You mentioned Providence. You mentioned Nova. Rutgers just got their massive project completed. And you said you'll kind of work towards the end of next year to figure out what that budget might be. Rutgers, $115 million. Providence, $30 million. Nova, 65 yeah. and, and the list goes on and on. What, in your mind, is the projected kind of budget for this type of project? Well, we're not going anywhere near the Rutgers State School money level, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> we're not in that number. So and we're more towards the Providence area. We're, we're in that neighborhood. We'll be looking somewhere in that neighborhood as I've looked at early indications of it. Uh, I hate to put a no, and I, I can't really put an exact number on it because I think we're still working on, you know, I mean, we've, we sit down again, as I said, we're sitting down again this week. We kind of keep looking at the different things we want to kind of include, not include this, that, and the other thing. And that's going to really change things as we go through it. 
But we're going to be somewhere in that ballpark of what Providence did in terms of numbers. And, and I think that's probably what I think most people would expect at the end of the day. So, I mean, and you look at what they've done, you know, what Providence built, and I've only seen videos and pictures of it. It's pretty impressive. And I'll be up there actually uh, later in the year, and I plan to go take a tour of it just to kind of see what's out there. But we're certainly going to be wanting to do something on par with that, if not better. So past the practice facilities, there's been something uh, that's been a topic of discussion for at least 30 years, and I'm sure it'll never be resolved. Seton Hall has always faced challenges uh, for facilities expansion due to the lack of real estate in the surrounding area. Now, if I ever hear the someone I pitched the idea of buying out Underhill Field from Newark one more time, I may lose my mind. <laughs> But this is clearly something that needs to be addressed. Is the idea of a campus arena or a nearby arena somewhere in South Orange uh, to host Big East games, is that just some, something not logistically possible? So I love that you said the Underhill thing. I, you know, first of all, I've heard them all as well. I've heard, you know, I was spent 16 years at Seton Hall before I came back. I've heard it all. Usually the Underhill conversation sometimes, they start to bring it up, talk about arena, and then somebody will say, well, why don't we bring football back? And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you hear it all after a while. But um, so, yeah, I'll be honest. I, I, it is. It's a stretch to think that that could really ever happen in all honesty. I mean, the infrastructure that you would need to really put something like that on on the footprint that we have. I, I, you know, we've, there's certainly, you, you, we've talked about it over the years. It's just, it's a really, that's an up, uphill battle where I would have to say I just don't know the likelihood of that would ever be possible. I, I, there's a reason I don't say never because I, I, I do believe that, you know, you can always look at different things. But for now, our relationship with the Prudential Center is very, very good. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a beautiful arena. Our fans love it. Uh, you know, we really do get, we, we're, our crowds continue to build every year. Our numbers continue to look better and better. Ticket sales this year is as strong as they've ever been. So, I mean, right now what we have is what we have, and I think it's a very good relationship with Prudential Center, a very good experience that we're able to put together. You know, our guys love playing in it. Um, you know, so it's worked well in that regard. I do understand that the excitement and the love of having an on-campus arena, I know what that means and brings. I just think when you look at our footprint and the logistics that we would have to go ahead and do that, it'd be incredibly difficult to ever pull off. Now, let me correct myself. I think I said Underhill Field. It's been 20-something years. I did mean Ivy Hill Field, so... I know what you meant, but yeah, and I said it too, by the way. You'll notice, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, that's, that's the old Columbia High School days where we played football so we'll, we'll move on here right I right, got you. in the spirit of moving on and saving the both of you here all right not not all fundraising goes directly towards facility improvement uh, a big part of successful athletic department is the leadership you hire to guide the teams that take the field right so let, let's start from a high level perspective first where do you feel the salaries align with the universities in the other sports outside of men's basketball I think it was in the last and I think under Pat really I give Pat there's a lot of credit I think under the last six to eight years are we are much more on par than we've ever been with the rest of the conference uh and and we've done a good job that i see i saw a lot of that growth during my time there pat was very good at understanding and I, i've said this many times already too since i've been there you know you're going to get where you're going to go with people you know as, as important as we talk about facilities all the time we talk about arms races all that you need the right people because it's all about culture and it's all about people and we've done a very good job within our athletic department in investing in people um you look at what coach willard has done here. You look at, you know, his tenure here now. Um, you look at the tenure of several of our coaches. You know, you look at guys like Rob Shepard who have been around and, and so many. 
you know, the, we've invested in, the, in, in our coaches and not only our coaches, but also our administrators to make sure that, first of all, they know what we want to do. We want to be incredibly competitive in a very high level conference, the Big East Conference. So we had to, and we've done a good job of getting on that level of investment with our people. So I'm, I mean, I think you were to ask any coaches too, they'd say the same thing. I mean, it's just been really, really strong. Now, in terms of our flagship program, obviously basketball, how do our coaches' salaries compare with uh, the Big East? How do we stay competitive? Well, I, I think a lot's been done in the last few years, to be honest with you, again. Uh, so a lot of it's been done before I get there in terms of where our basketball salaries are. I think we're, we're, we're literally right in, if anywhere, I wouldn't know the exact numbers on everybody off the top of my head, but we're, I would venture to say we're somewhere in the middle. How do we work on deterring uh, the constant uh, poaching attempts from the Power Five conferences? Well, those are going to happen. I mean, listen, they happen to everybody. I mean, Jay, Jay, people offer Jay Wright jobs all the time. I mean, it's, it's just, again, when you're able to have success at the level we have success, you're an incredibly attractive candidate for a lot of places. Um, now you see the success of the beast. Now you see a lot of these coaches that are staying here. You know, you look at the Jay Wrights, you look at the Ed Cooleys that have had opportunities. It says a lot about our confidence. Uh, you, you know, Kevin certainly was very attractive. Uh, you know, on, on we all know that. You know, there's certainly a lot of talk about him in the past year. So uh, I think we've done a good job, and by showing how invested we are in basketball, invested we are in understanding basketball being the prime, obviously not only the prime sport as we've talked about, but being that that great tool for a university. Coaches, you know, coaches are, you know, they, they see their their role in in the in the, the program as being what it is, and and that means a great deal. And I think you're starting to see a lot of them stay. Um, that doesn't mean it's not going to prevent folks from coming and knocking on the door because, you know, if you can have success at a level like this and certainly continued and able success, you're an attractive candidate to those big five programs. There's no other way around it. Brian, you brought up Kevin Willard. So in all fairness, I believe one could say that the coaching salaries and the program would not have progressed to its current status without the contributions of Kevin himself. I mean, what he was able to do from where the program was left under the previous regime is quite an accomplishment. And you were there at the beginning of Kevin's coaching tenure. What did he do early on to set the foundation for the program to return to its sustained success? I'll tell you what, you, you hit the nail on the head. What Kevin's done is is, is tremendous. Uh, and I was there when Kevin was hired. I actually was in one of the interviews of Kevin. He came in and he did. He took over a program that was really in a interesting place. <laughs> uh, and I remember seeing him after those first few days in the job, even I can tell you, I mean, good God. it was He knew what he, he was getting himself <laughs> into, but it, and it was a big job. He's been incredibly consistent uh, the way he works with these young men, uh, if you you know, you hear the way he talks about his kids. I mean, I, I, it sounds so trivial, but it's such an important thing. And when I was talking about Shaw earlier, I think it's something I've seen Shaw really pick up from Kevin over the years too. Is just the investment that he puts in his, his kids and and the and really the level of coaching, not only coaching but care that he puts into you know their growth. But at the same time, he understood how important the program was to the life of the school and the time he put into not only building relationships around campus, but in relationships externally. Uh, he's just done a tremendous job across the board. And then at the end of the day, of course, recruiting because you know you have to you have to get the right kids. And he's done a great job and you know pushing a lot of the right buttons and bringing a lot of the right kids in, good kids. I mean, kids that you want to represent your school as an alum. He's done a great job of that. I mean, you look at the the way some of these kids continue to carry themselves. You know, you look at uh, the Isaiah Whitehead, the Angel Delgados, you know, Ish, and, and I mean, the, you know, Desi, and all those kids are certainly a class that obviously I just touched on there. But these were these are great kids. 
they were kids that came in. They were good kids. They did everything they needed to do. They understood the importance of being a, a student athlete. And, you know, that goes a long way. You, you build your program with good, good people and good kids. You know, it'll, it goes a long way. And he certainly has done a tremendous job with that. I'm fortunate to know Kevin for a long time now um, and have a really good relationship with him where he's a joy to work with. Now, even though he set that foundation early on, the results on the court didn't produce as many wins as the fan base wanted, and they got antsy. What have you noticed in the growth of Kevin Willard? I'll tell you, good coaches always have a plan. Uh, and I can't, I mean, I can sit here and say, I mean, Kevin knew that this would happen when. I, I don't I don't know if it's safe to say that. But Kevin was, again, I think I said consistent earlier. He, he was putting all the right pieces in place. It takes time to build a program. Uh, and I know fans are... Antsy. That's just the way fans are. I mean, listen, I'm a I'm a Mets fan. I yell at that team more than anybody else. So I get it, you know. Uh, so no, I mean, I I mean, you know what I'm saying? I get fan response is what I'm trying to say, and I understand that. But again, when you're trying to build a program the way Ken was trying to build a program, build it the right way, put the right piece in place, it was going to take time. And if you look, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I think it says a lot for what Pat did and what Seton Hall did too, and kind of sticking with Kevin at that time. You know, they saw it too. You know, they knew that we had a lot of these good things, a lot of these pieces in place. It was just going to take a matter of kind of getting it going. And and, it, and obviously it did. So, I mean, obviously it ends up everybody looks great. And, and you know, that certainly doesn't always work out that way. But um, I think knowing that what Kevin was doing and Kevin felt so strong about what he was putting in place, the kids he was bringing in, and I think the university believing so much in him, it was a great recipe, obviously, for what we have now. Now, does the increased exposure of the team and success overall raise the bar for your expectations of him? Yeah, talk about a year with expectations. I always say to people all the time, it's very different when you're the hunted. You know, I mean, this is uh, usually we're always trying to sneak in towards the end. Now you're now you're starting at this level. So yeah, I mean, there's expectations for me. I always want to be, remain incredibly competitive in our conference. I always want to be in that conversation in the top half every year, certainly. So, I mean, for me, I keep that expectation always at a pretty level, you know, situation, but understanding, yeah, I know where we're at night and hour. You know, people are talking about top 15, this, that, and the other thing, expecting us to be, you know, all the things. I certainly read everything out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to make sure Kevin's doing the right, you know, he's providing the right experience for the kid. And, and obviously the results are where it needs to be. That always plays plays into it. So the expectations for me are always kind of keep them at a pretty stable level. But yes, I, I certainly look and understand what we're expected to do this year. That's the question. No question about that. All right, Brian. So before we move into the, the team and some of those expectations, I got a couple more questions on Kevin. So this past summer, it was reported that Kevin had an opportunity to explore the head spot at Virginia Tech. You know, with the team earmarked for even more success, do you feel that, as Tom mentioned before, the Power Five schools, the top programmers are going to come calling if the team reaches that potential this year? As I said, I mean, listen, I mean, wouldn't surprise me. You know, people will call. You know, people will look. I mean, they see what he's done. It's, it's certainly it's impressive. I mean, I, he'd be attractive to anybody that would be looking for, to bring a coach in to help build their program. I mean, I'd be lying if I say and I couldn't expect it. I mean, sure, I get it. You know, it's very possible. But, you know, we'll prepare for that and we'll, you know, we'll deal with it as that comes. And, you know, Kevin and I will have conversations along the way. But, and again, maybe, who knows? You know, I, I wasn't here last year, obviously, when Kevin went through that uh, challenge. So I, I really can't speak to that per se, but certainly if, as we move forward, if that is to happen, you know, we'll sit down, Kevin and I will talk about it and see where, where we want to go. All right. So Terry, one more question on this subject matter and, and just share your opinion relative to what you think would happen in the future. To me, I think it's inevitable, you know, as Seton Hall coaches throughout the years have had success, Big East coaches have had success. The, the big power five football money has kind of been thrown around to attract the, those coaches sure. to leave our conference. Is it inevitable for a coach at Seton Hall to transition on to another role? How would you get someone to stay here for the long term? Well, I think you do what we keep doing, and and that's investing in the, in in our program, which is what we're trying to do. I mean, we just talked about building. You know, we're looking to try and build a practice facility for our men's basketball program. We're putting all of those pieces in place, and it, you know, one could say that's that's another reason why I think Kevin has been so 
successful here because of all this investment and with any coach we want to show that we're committed just as much as that coach is committed so we're doing what we need to do in that regard uh yeah at the end of the day certainly the big five exists out there and football money and all those things you talk about and anything's possible but it's also possible for someone to you know we get we talk about what province has done how ed you know staying there and obviously jay of villanova and all these kind of things i mean they're at programs now that have, they're also putting that investment behind, behind basketball and it's a good fit and and those coaches sit there and they love that fit you know so that that's also possible you know it could go either way so going back to the expectations for this year i, I don't recall them being this high since probably 92 93 and to some extent 2000 2001 however with all the success we've had over these past four seasons we seem still to be struggling a little bit to get fans to be all in if you pardon the pun <laughs> i know you said to fanta earlier this summer if you're not involved now you don't know what it'll take to get them involved we still seem to have a problem drawing those fans in louisville a couple seasons ago was a good example do you expect to be able to open the upper levels more often this season with teams like Maryland and Michigan State coming to the Rock? Yeah, so, I, I mean, listen, I, I did say that, and I believe that. I mean, I think this is what people have been wanting for and they're thirsty for, and I think that their involvement now. Uh, but, again, at the same time, it's shown. I mean, already this summer we have added more season ticket accounts than ever in our history. Uh, our season ticket numbers are incredible. Uh, ticket sales continue to go well. We're seeing a lot of great, you know, a lot of people are, you know, really getting on board, you know, in a way. Uh, I'm excited about how the fan base has responded to this point. Uh, I think we can continue to do better and we continue we will continue to do better. We're going to be putting individual tickets on sale in about a week. And that, that's the next big hurdle is like, let's, you know, our first game at Prince Center is Michigan State. Uh, I think we certainly have that goal of trying to sell that game out. And if the, I get asked a question about up in, opening the upstairs, and it's really going to be a matter of when we sell, if when and if we sell Michigan State out to provide ourselves enough time to open the top. I think we'll certainly take a look at doing that. Um, you know, anything we can do to continue to bring more people into experience, uh, the atmosphere, uh, and to experience Seton Hall basketball, we want to do that. Um, but we also want to get people investing in being season ticket holders and, and coming to games. And I think, you know, listen, our numbers showed. I looked at attendance numbers over the last few years. They continue to grow every year. Uh, I expect this to be another great one. Uh, you know, I knock on wood here, but I mean, hope it, it continues to go that way. We have some ama- I mean, the schedule is just, I mean, I, you can't even find a better schedule. I, I mean, you got Michigan State at home and Maryland at home, as you just said. And, yeah, I, we our goal is obviously to sell those games out and build an atmosphere of home court advantage like nothing else. Brian, if hypothetically going to a fifth straight NCAA tournament doesn't bring the attendance numbers back to the levels of the early 90s that Tom was talking about, what can be done to change the marketing profile of the program to remain highly visible in what is considered to be a pro sports town? Well, I, got, I guess we got to get Jairi and Joe back from Spain. <laughs> yeah, we were just right. talking not, not, about not him. I didn't expect him to go there. Get the heck out of here. <laughs> Come on, man. That's my guy. I love Jairi and Joe. Oh, uh, he was great. I'm just trying to think of things that people that people would love, right? If we if we could feature Jairi and Joe comes back, then we should sell the place out for that. No, absolutely. Um, I'd come. I'd fly back in. <laughs> oh, so that, I'm gonna hold you to that. This is on tape. Um, <laughs> so let me tell you, I would love to get him back. And I, I, I it's funny. I do actually. I, we communicate him and I through Facebook occasionally. So um, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But um, God, now I said that. What was the original, your original question? <laughs> uh, marketing. Like I, I used to drive down the turnpike once oh, right. in a while to see like a billboard, but you don't really kind of see okay. Stephen Hall in the media. We need to see cheese stuff, on right? the turnpike is what I'm saying here. <laughs> All right. So funny you bring this up. That's great. Great timing. I just was reading. I was just uh, met with marketing on Friday. So we literally, 
every year we do, a, I, listen, we've been doing a nice job over the last several years, I believe, in terms of what we've done, media buys and some marketing aspects of it. We've done a bunch of things. We had done a bunch of, over the years, we were getting a lot of good feedback on some, we did a lot of promotions throughout the airports in the region. We were doing different things throughout the area. Uh, and then we, this year, we're trying to mix it up a little bit. As I think, as, as you've mentioned, everyone's certainly excited. We want that marketing to be out there. We actually will have a full-on billboard campaign that I believe starts mid-October uh, that will have us throughout New Jersey. I think it's probably more billboards than we've ever probably invested in uh, within this region. So you're going to see a really nice representation. And we'll, we'll and you guys being in California, we'll make sure you see a lot of that on social media. But uh, so we're, we're doing a nice push, I think, to go along with the excitement. Uh, and the staff, you know, listen, don't forget, I mean, we talk about our fans being excited. I mean, you, when you're in this business, you work in this business, we're, we're excited too. You know, I mean, I have, a, I have a, you know, our market staff usually made up with a lot of young people, really hardworking people. They're excited. And, and their ideas just keep churning. And they're putting a lot of great things together for this year that I'm excited about. You know, our ticket staff's done a great job, you know, certainly getting, seizing that momentum this summer and doing the job they've done on season ticket sales. So, I mean, everybody's really, they feel that. And, and it kind of, you know, it, permeates throughout our culture and throughout our building and throughout our department and you'll see that i think conveyed in a lot of the market that's going to be coming up i'm, I'm really excited about what some of the stuff i already saw so so uh, so you shall see very soon some of these great marketing uh pieces we have okay all right. all right sticking with this theme of higher expectations we've had a few individuals on the podcast state that the expectations of seton hall returning to a final four in men's basketball is not a fair goal for the fan base to have how do you respond to a comment like that Oh, well, I guess. I mean, listen, uh, it's hard. I mean, listen, I, you know what? Honestly, if you think about it on the grand scheme, I think those that know the, the business of college basketball and the, and the world we live in now, it certainly is, you know, it, it could be perceived as difficult sometimes for teams at our level. But then the, the other side of that argument will quickly be pointed right at Villanova and see what they've done. So uh, to say it's fair or not, I don't know. I mean, certainly your aspirations are always to, and our aspirations are always to go as far as humanly possible, find a four national championship. That's always a goal. It's a goal of these young people every day. That's what they want. That's why they go to college and play this sport and compete. That's why our coaches do the jobs that they do. We all want that. Um, so we'll never say that it's not likely. I, I, that's, that's always our ultimate goal. But it's an incredibly hard goal to achieve, especially when you look at how many times people achieve it. You know, it's not, just, it's, it's not something that should be casually said, oh, well, you know, the goal this year is to go to the Final Four. It's, I think that's a, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just a matter of trying to put fair expectations on anything on, on young people, uh, you know, on, on a program. Uh, we certainly believe that we are capable of doing anything. You know, these, these young men work hard for a reason. They, 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 every year, their number one goal is obviously get to the NCAA tournament, win a beach championship, get to an NCAA tournament. Those are always your goals and then go as far as humanly possible in that NCAA tournament. So that'll remain to be the way we tackle it. And, and those that want to, you know, you know, make predictions and, and, and set expectations. I'll let those folks do that. Uh, our goal is to do it always to win and be successful and, and graduate these young men into becoming you know tremendous ambassadors for our school and 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 society so that's what we're going to do every day and, and and hopefully with that you know hey maybe one day you know we're, we're all on the same page and saying hey this is the final four we're here but uh for now we just gotta keep trying to do what we're doing that's be competitive win and, and graduate these young men well brian before we let our guests leave we make them walk the plank Five rapid-fire <laughs> questions. We want five rapid-fire answers. Don't think too hard. Don't elaborate. Just give us the first thing that pops off the top of your head. You think you're ready for this? I'm, I'm set. Let's do this. All right, here we go. Question number one. Most influential person you have ever worked with in your career? I'm going to say Pat Lyon. Question two. Dream accomplishment while on this job? Uh, always Big East Championship. Winning a men's basketball Big East Championship without question 
in this position would be awesome. What round of the NCAA tournament do you think this year's Pirate team makes it to? Oh, you're going to put me in that corner. <laughs> uh, that's, not, that's not fair. That's just not fair. You can't have me say that. Listen, I want these young men to do everything that they can and that they dream of. So as far as they can make it, that's as far as I can say. Oh, there's an AD answer right there. Okay. <laughs> damn, damn straight, boys. Damn straight. <laughs> oh, look at him. Uh, a month on the job, and he's already got the spiel. <laughs> or try to put me in a corner. <laughs> All right, moving, moving on here. All right. Most exciting men's basketball win you have ever witnessed firsthand? Oh, there's so many. Obviously, the Big East Championship with Isaiah Whitehead uh, and that, that group of guys, Angel and all them, in, in 2016. But there was a game that I always re- remind people of, and I, I'm going to escape on the year. It was Andre Barrett. It was the Meadowlands. It was a, I, I want to say we went to double overtime. 2004 Pittsburgh. 2004 Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I was just about to say the appointment. It was 2004. My wife, my wife and I were at the game. We had been married like two years. We were at that game. What? It was just an awesome, awesome game. One of those I always remember. And we were big Andre Barrett fans. And uh, it was just, I always forget. I remember that game for some reason. It always sticks out. Last question. Uh, best Seton Hall men's basketball player you have seen play? Oh, wow. That's good. Uh, a guy that comes to mind to me all the time, and I say this because I, I know him well and I love him, Adrian Griffin. Nice. Bonus question. What was your favorite cafeteria yeah. food while you were an undergrad at Seton Hall? Oh, we had Carvel. I was I was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and that, that would explain the 20 pounds I put on in college. <laughs> Congratulations, Brian Felt. You've walked the plank. Oh, I survived. <laughs> well, thank you for spending some time with us this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure, boys. I appreciate all your support, and uh, let's go Pirates. Brian Felt, everyone. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcast, which include interviews with former players Marcus Toniel, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.